Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 469 of the podcast and we are back up to full speed, back to reality and into creating for the new year. So today I'm talking with Brad Barrett from the Choose FI podcast about the principles behind the financial independence retire early movement which is not so much about retirement. And certainly as writers, we're not intending to retire in that way. I mean, personally, I'm going to write hopefully until I die (laughs) or as long as my brain continues. But it's not so much about the old idea of retirement, but more about having choices to spend your time how you like. So obviously, we love independence around here. We are indie authors. And it's certainly my goal to save and invest enough to have more choices, but also to downsize those areas of my life where spending isn't so necessary and spend more on the things that are important to me. So for example, we are car free and walk most places, um, but we do spend on other forms of travel. So Brad and I talk about some of our other money choices, like when Jonathan and I sold everything uh, to downsize so I could start the creative pen business. And it was a decade until we bought another house, the one I am in now. It was 10 years uh, of basically uh, changing direction financially in order to, for me to have the uh, creative life. Um, So in that way, it's not always about making more money. It's sometimes about downsizing in order to have more choice. And that's what I like about this movement. It actually is a lot to do with that. And we do talk about frugality versus fat fire, which I quite like this idea. I, I'm not a frugal person in uh, in in everyday things, but I, I do um, stuff like, you know, not have a car uh, because... Um, you know, doing bigger things is better than me skipping coffee when I go right at the cafe and stuff like that. (laughs) So I think it's really good to talk about different values when it comes to money and the decisions that impact our creative lives. So I hope this episode will be interesting to you. And of course, everyone has different choices and there are no value judgments about your choices. It's just uh, giving you something to think about. So uh, and of course, if you enjoy the type of money discussion we have, check out the Choose FI podcast. where the guys uh, and girls have lots of uh, financial independence chat. In publishing and book marketing news, well, obviously I had to cull uh, quite a lot of things because it's been three weeks or something since I last did news. But there have been a few things that um, are important. Firstly, Amazon advertising expands into France, Italy and Spain, in addition to the US, UK and Germany. Um, And that happened like just, you know, a week before Christmas or something. Um, Presumably we will get all markets at some point. You can find the the markets on your KDP dashboard under promote and advertise and run an ad campaign. There are now six markets uh, that you can do advertising in. And, you know, I have mixed feelings on this. I mean, one, it's great because everyone who 
has an important market for their books can now advertise. Um, but obviously, <laughs> it's just more and more ads. Uh, so we all have to be aware of, um, you know, making money as well as spending <laughs> on advertising. <laughs> so but I think it, that is interesting. I mean, hopefully they're going to open up Canada, Australia, uh, India, uh, some of those other markets that are, um, you know, potentially more English speaking than uh, Italy. Uh, for example, I have tried selling books in Italian and Spanish and uh, didn't do so well. But maybe that was because at the time there was less advertising available. So we shall see. In other news, Rakuten sells Overdrive to private equity firm KKR. Publisher, Publishers Weekly says Overdrive provides tools to libraries and schools so they can lend the widest variety of digital books, audiobooks, uh, while at the same time respecting and compensating authors and publishers. So this is really interesting. And there was a notice from Kobo Writing Life. I think that was also just before Christmas. The operations of Overdrive and Kobo won't change. We'll continue to collaborate on e-reading initiatives uh, and distribution of KWL and Kobo uh, to libraries around the world. So you can still distribute to Overdrive through KWL, through Kobo Writing Life, and also through Drafter Digital and um, Publish Drive and other distributors, Smashwords. Now, but this is interesting because <laughs> obviously Waterstones and Barnes & Noble sold to Elliott Advisors earlier in 2019, which is an activist hedge fund, and now uh, Overdrive going to private equity firm KKR. Now, I'm slightly puzzled about this because although obviously I think books are a great business because this is what I do, this is what some of you do, either full-time or part-time or whatever, we love books. It is interesting to me that hedge funds and private equity firms who you'd think would be much more invested in, um, I don't know, things that have a lot more profit, <laughs> they are interested in books. So I I kind of have mixed feelings about this because I feel that... Um, there might not be enough profit for these companies to hold on to these companies for the long term. We shall see. But there are also rumours that now Rakuten has divested Overdrive, they might divest Kobo. Uh, obviously, that is just a rumour, but it is flying around the indie sphere. Um, interesting times potentially ahead, uh, especially as Google Play are gearing up for interesting things in early 2020. So I feel like there's more shakeups to come in the ebook business and also the print business. We've, you know, I talked to Mike Shatskin last year about what the purchase of Barnes & Noble could mean for publishing. And uh, many of the things we talked about are starting to happen. For example, the returns uh, policy um, that uh, James Daunt implemented at Waterstones and is now starting to happen at Barnes & Noble. So definitely things are changing. Uh, as ever, <laughs> change is the only constant. And talking about change, another thing that happened just before Christmas was a uh, implosion of uh, romance writers of America. Now, RWA is certainly going through turbulent times and the issues have expanded and expanded and are now being reported all over mainstream press, including the New York Times, The Guardian and others. So the awareness has spread far further than the romance community. Now, there are lots of places you can get all the details. I'm not going to list them all here. I am not a romance author or in the USA or an author of colour, or a marginalised author, which is what the discussion is, is about. And there are writers in all those areas who have commented on the situation. So I suggest you um, read their thoughts. Uh, and there are thoughts from every angle. <laughs> so you can have a look. Um, I will link to the Book Riot uh, post 
which has which links to a lot of other resources, including Twitter, um, uh, threads and, and other stuff. What I will do is comment on Nora Roberts, uh, because Nora Roberts, the queen of romance, chimed in. So this was interesting because she chimed in um, to say that basically she had resigned from RWA years ago over other things she disagreed with that actually uh, did resonate uh, in many ways with this this particular issue. Uh, and you can read her comments at fallintothestory.com. I'll link to that in the show notes. One thing she does that I wanted to point out is apologise for any offence caused by things she has written over the years. So I wanted to do the same because I feel like we things change over time and we all learn and hopefully improve and learn more about other people and improve our own attitudes and change because, you know, change is good. <laughs> so I'm sorry. And I, I truly am. I'm sorry for anything that may have been offensive over the years, either something I've said or something I've written. And in fact, having sort of facing up to my past as I go through old episodes, um, not so much of the podcast, but of um, articles I've written. And, you know, I I love my naivety from the early days of indie, but um, you know, so some of my thoughts were wrong because I didn't know enough. Now, uh, what I yeah, back to saying sorry. I am sorry for anything that I may have said or written that has been offensive over the years. And we're all a product of our society and our generation, and our aim should be to improve over time as we learn new things and change our minds about things. Um, but inevitably, the only way that society changes is by this kind of conflict and resolution. So I hope the organisation finds its way through. Uh, many writers love RWA, have a home there. And of course, writers from every background should be supported. But I do think it's inevitable that this kind of upheaval happens in order that things can change. Um, and as a you know, uh, a writer of colour, a, a wonderful inspiration, Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Um, but that long <laughs> phrase, uh, so it does take time and pain for things to change, especially in these older organisations, because even though individually we can come up against uh, something and go, oh, right, I was wrong and I'm sorry about that. When it's an organisation, things become embedded and, uh, you know, it's harder to for things to change. So, for example, I wanted to point out several organisations that I have also <laughs> had and a different experience. This is from for self-published authors. So one organisation here in the UK made it very clear that uh, indies were not welcome. So I resigned my membership from um, that organisation, even though uh, I had I had become a member because I had an audiobook deal. Uh, they were discriminating against other indie authors. So I resigned. And they were not changing their minds. They basically were like, no, you are not welcome here. So fair enough. I resigned rather than trying to change that. Um, also, when uh, the reason, one of the reasons, Orna Ross started the Alliance of Independent Authors in 2012 was because we were not welcome at uh, another particular organisation for authors who have now changed their stance considerably because the world has changed and opinions have changed. And this is what I think will happen with RWA. Uh, I think some RWA authors will leave and start new things and some will stay and help the organisation through upheaval and change. Now, you get to decide your own path and find your own 
community. I think um, anger is one response, but then action will be taken. And there is action. There are um, actions within the organisation happening. There are actions outside of the organisation that are happening. And I believe that um, the romance community is strong and powerful. They really are incredible um, and also incredibly diverse. And so I think we will see some exciting things emerge from this difficult time. And I know it's been a difficult time. I have been following a lot of this stuff over the holidays and, you know, it's it's very, very difficult. But as I said, I think that out of difficulty, new things will come and uh, new shoots of growth, which is, uh, you know, a good thing. So, and, and, you know, I always hope that you find my podcast positive. I always try and have a positive spin on things, but sometimes things are negative and then we have to move on (laughs) and take action and do new things. So my, as I mentioned in my end of year, you know, I had a lot of pain last year. Um, You know, I, I got things wrong in my own health life and then really had to fix stuff. And uh, it's interesting because that has really felt like this holiday season. There've been a lot of things that are seemingly, well, that are negative in so many ways. And then we have to look at how we're going to react to those. Uh, I think it's something like, you know, suffering is inevitable, but how you react to that is is the thing that will change. <laughs> I'm sure there's a better quote. <laughs> This is what happens when I go off my notes. It just falls apart. Uh, another thing which I felt is uh, could have a slight negative, but I'm choosing to spin it in a positive way. Mark Coker posted his State of the Indie Nation, which he does every year on the Smashwords blog, uh, and that with the headline House of Indie on Fire, which I found... Uh, this is a, a, an unfortunate wording because uh, Australia is is on fire right now. And as someone who lived in Australia for five years with friends and family in Australia, anything about that, um, yeah, you have to put things in perspective as well. And, uh, but I read Mark's post and this is very interesting, despite the headline. (laughs) So Mark says, and he's really commenting on how um, people have changed what indie means. He says, can honest can authors honestly call themselves indie authors when they're getting 80 to 100% of their sales from a single retailer? I actually think it's not just indie authors. There's a lot of publishers who are going this route too. So there's a challenge. Um, Mark says, get a group of indies together for any period of time, whether online or in person. And the conversation invariably devolves into questions of how to please Amazon and its algorithms. Shouldn't the conversation be about how to please readers? And he includes a call to action here. If we allow a single retailer to grind all the profit out of publishing, we can look forward to a dim future as Amazon's competitors exit the market, royalty rates drop further and where the only books that get published are from deep pocketed hobbyists who are willing to pay more to be read than they earn in income. It is not too late for indie authors to chart a more prosperous course for their careers. It starts with fiercely defending the independence upon which the indie author movement was born. Your independence is your power. Don't let others take it away. 
And I certainly believe this, uh, as you all should know by now. (laughs) And if you don't know how to go wide with your books, check out episode 429, which is on exclusive versus wide publishing for ebooks, print and audio, uh, which is a solo show that I did about um, basically going wide. And remember, as someone pointed out that they had forgotten, uh, even if you are exclusive with your ebooks, you can still go wide with print and you can still go wide with audio. Mark Coker also predicts that this year indies will redouble their efforts to build mailing lists um, because when a reader subscribes to your newsletter, you own that relationship and you can reach that reader on the terms, on your own terms, whenever you choose. So, of course, I've been preaching building a mailing list for many years and many of you are on my mailing list, which, of course, you can sign up for at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. And I have something exciting coming up that will help you build your mailing list. So that's some of the news. Again, um, you know, wanted to talk about those things, but also want to stress that all of this involves all of us taking decisions to change what we want to see in the publishing and author environment. So whatever that action means to you, I hope you'll take a step towards it in 2020. So my personal update, uh, first of all, I'm still working my way through my content audit and it's going <laughs> to it's going to take a while. I mean, because I'm doing other things and I can only bear to do about an hour of it every day. And I found uh, but when I was going through my backlist and basically I've just been paging through every single thing and uh, checking it, seeing if it's out of date, um, you know, archiving it, potentially redirecting it, um, updating it. And I found December 2010 was the first time I did a personal update. And I thank you to David Farmer for encouraging me to add this personal segment to the podcast. And David, I don't know if you're listening all these years later, but sharing personal information has made this show much more engaging for me, much more of um, an accountability exercise. Uh, And also, hopefully for many of you, I know um, sharing honestly about the challenges of the journey is just as important as kind of uh, sort of doing interviews and stuff. So yeah, thank you to David for that. I have also been editing like a crazy person this week because of holidays. I had a cold family craziness and needing a bit of a rest. I have moved the pre-order for audio for authors to the 6th of March 2020. So I have time to record the audiobook and Audio for Authors has now gone to my editor and a number of beta readers who know their stuff. And I'm going to start recording that uh, in 10 days or something like that. So my aim is to record the audiobook before the 6th of February so that I can upload those files because it takes time to go through the system. Um, the German audiobook edition of Mindset is also underway. So that will be available sometime in February as well, February, early March. Okay, so in useful stuff, uh, uh, I really, I'm very excited about this. Uh, It's time to hit the ground running in 2020. So we're getting started with webinars. And uh, the first webinar for the new year is going to be with the wonderful Nick Stevenson on how to go from $0 to $1,000 a month in book sales in 2020 with a big focus on building your email list. Referring back to what Mark Coker said in his article, it's the only way we can control control um, our sales over time and uh, in a reliable manner. Uh, Obviously, paid ads, content marketing, these are all part of the marketing uh, 
uh, ecosystem, let's call it ecosystem, but having emails is super important. So join me and Nick for how to go from zero to $1,000 a month in book sales in 2020 on Thursday, 16th of January at 3pm US Eastern, 8pm UK. Join us live for the presentation uh, and a a Q&A or register to get the replay at thecreativepen.com Jan16, J-A-N-1-6, thecreativepen.com forward slash Jan16, obviously short for January 16th because that's the day we're doing the webinar. <laughs> so I hope you'll join us for that. Um, Nick is uh, the best copywriter and best email marketer I know. So, uh, and like seriously, he just is incredible at it. So looking forward to that webinar. Also, thanks for all your emails and comments and tweets and Facebook comments and everything about the e end of year roundup and my 2020 goals. Um, I have emailed them out as well and I've been replying to all your uh, emails that you've sent. I've been replying to comments. Uh, it's been awesome to hear from everyone. And actually, I have also taken back my inbox this year. Uh, last year was fantastic to outsource it, but it's time to have it back. So I've been responding to lots of email and enjoying it more too, I think, after having a bit of a rest. Too many comments to tackle individually, but I did want to respond to one person who said that me sharing my list of achievements made uh, them feel inadequate. And I wanted to say that comparisonitis is something I still feel every single day. (laughs) No matter how much I try and be all zen about it, I just can't help myself. And I think that is a human, a very human issue. And uh, we all have different values and drivers in life and comparisonitis is something that is I think it's just human nature look to be honest if we didn't compare ourselves to others we probably wouldn't achieve anything because we'd never do anything we know what we do <laughs> but sometimes it's actually looking at what others have done and saying well I want to do more of that that can really help us so for example and I've mentioned my weightlifting I am very motivated by strong women right now um, being a strong woman is something that I want to be, you know, and I feel like I am much more than I was in August when I was feeling very physically very weak. And that was really impacting my self-confidence, my self-esteem, my physical health. Um, so, and this is something clearly, um, but but also weightlifting is a really interesting thing in terms of um, a ladder of comparisonitis, because I can't compare myself to the guy next to me in the gym who, you know, just walks along and lifts heavier weights than me, seemingly without any effort. In the same way, I can't compare myself to Stephen King. Um, In the fiction world, you know, I can't compare myself to the wonderful Elizabeth Gilbert, um, you know, of Eat, Pray, Love and Big Magic, who many of us love very much. Um, You know, there are... Oh, anyway, I just wanted to point out that comparisonitis is a natural thing and let's use it to try and make ourselves... Uh, better and figure out what we want to achieve um, and help others out too. So also to add that um, I did get pretty down over things, about things over Christmas. I mean, for many of us, I think uh, the Australia fires um, and also the RWA stuff really uh, kind of filled my (laughs) 
Twitter stream with so many distressing things um, that I've actually removed Twitter from my phone. That was what I did on New Year's Day. I went, right, because I love Twitter. I've been on Twitter for over a decade and I love it, but I'm now only using it on my computer because I was just waking up and checking my phone and just seeing what had happened and it just got pretty, pretty down about it, which is not me. You know, I try and take action. So also I want to point out and the book I bought on New Year's Day because uh, we went for a walk as we do and went to the bookshop because that's fun for me, (laughs) going for a walk and going to the bookshop. And I actually bought in print Mark Manson's book, Everything is uh, F-C-K'd, a book about hope. Uh, so, uh, and I didn't read his previous one, the sweary book title thing didn't attract me, but this is actually an interesting book. It's, it's philosophy. It's really a philosophy book and it's quite helpful. We're all just doing our best. So if you're feeling uh, a little bit uh, down, I can, I, I recommend that book. It's a, you know, it's interesting. It's not what I had expected. So yeah, Mark Manson's book about hope is the subtitle, <laughs> the uh, safe, safer work version. So today's show is sponsored by Findaway Voices, talking about going wide with audio and uh, reaching everyone in the world and taking action. Uh, Findaway Voices can give you access to the world's largest network of audiobook sellers and everything you need to create professional audiobooks. I love Findaway because their goal is to help you take back your freedom with audiobook sales. While some services don't allow you to decide your pricing, Findaway does, and you can set it for the retail side and for library borrows too. And that's another thing. Findaway puts your audiobook into library catalogues so readers can listen for free and you still get paid, which is fantastic. If you are exclusive with your audiobooks, you cannot be in libraries. You can also reach a global audience through retailers like Storytel, which is expanding into all the territories not dominated by some of the other ones. Plus, uh, Findaway will still get you into the big sellers like Audible, Apple Books and other things. Um, They will also get you into Google Play audiobooks, which is super exciting. Uh, In fact, someone just emailed me uh, asking about how to get into Google Play for audio. Uh, You can also... um, get your books into Kobo Audio and sell direct through Authors Direct. Plus, Findaway have started to work with BookBub on their Chirp audiobook promotion site. Yes, the BookBub for audiobooks. And you cannot get in it if you are exclusive with um, ACX because you can't set your price and you can only do promotions if you can change your price. So Findaway Voices can help you find a narrator or if you narrate yourself, you can load your finished files straight up there, which I do. You can also add more keywords now, which is fantastic to help discoverability. They have also announced Voices Share, where the author pays half the normal cost of an audiobook in exchange for sharing 20% of the royalties with the narrator. So if you want to get into audiobooks, now is a great time. So I personally use Findaway Voices for wide audio and I do think they really are fantastic. And my um, sales and my paper checkout for libraries, uh, you know, I just love it. I really, well, I'm just an enthusiast for wide and global things. (laughs) So take back your audiobook freedom and publish your audiobooks everywhere with findawayvoices.com. 
So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. And thanks to new patrons, bit of a bumper crop as I haven't read any out for a few weeks. Michael W.N. Bishop, Simon Stanton, Marie, Julie Carroll, D.H. Young, Jenny Lisk, Jackie Hatton, Janelle Hardacre, Philip C., Tony Walsh, Seth Z. Herman and Lindsay Garcia. I really do appreciate your support on Patreon. Like the tweets and emails, it demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue as we head towards 500. (laughs) So on Patreon, you can support the show with just a couple of dollars a month and you'll get the extra Q&A audio, which I'll be recording in a week or so probably. So lots more audio fun. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Brad Barrett went from being a full-time CPA, an accountant in the US, to retiring with complete financial independence by the age of 35 through diligent savings and investing. Now, as co-host and co-founder of Choose FI, he's empowering others in their own pursuit of the financially independent lifestyle. He's also the co-author of Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence, which we are talking about today. Welcome to the show, Brad. Oh, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, no, it's great to talk about this because I first heard about FIRE a few years ago and have been making changes in my own life. And But what I found really interestingly is that many people in my niche, which is around writing books and authors and independent publishing, many people have not yet heard of the movement. Obviously, I'm in the UK, but my audience is all over the world. So let's start by defining what is FIRE and what is FI. Yeah, what a great question. And and yeah, I'm glad you pointed to it as a movement because that's that's what it seems like. It's this is as awareness is growing, this really is spreading across the globe, which is amazing. I know I was actually in London last summer and 150 people plus showed up at a happy hour at a pub on the Thames to just to meet up. And it was wonderful. It's amazing to see these ideas spread. So yeah, that distinction between FIRE and FI. So FIRE is this really cute acronym, right? It's Financial (laughs) Independence Retire Early. And it just, it rolls off the tongue. We say the fire is spreading, right? But FIRE, I think, is honestly a distraction from FI, which is financial independence. And I think so many people we notice in articles, in the media and such, they get so myopically focused on the retire early that they think that it's people being really unproductive, right? Just people looking to check out of life or check out of the job or really just sit around and do nothing. And and I have seen that that couldn't be further from the truth, honestly. I think For me, the people that I know that are pursuing financial independence are some of the most creative, driven people who are are just looking to make a difference in the world and add value to their family, friends, community in ways that are really strikingly impressive. And I guess since, you know, your question is, what is financial independence? For me, it is pursuing a life that I want to live on my terms. So for me, it's about a sense of autonomy that otherwise isn't really available to you when you're living that 
nine to five everyday grind that we affectionately or not so affectionately call the hamster wheel, right? It's <laughs> yeah. you go to work, you maybe buy expensive stuff, you buy an expensive car, an expensive house or whatever it may be to kind of make yourself feel better that you're not living the life that you want. And then you have to keep working to pay for these absurdly expensive toys that are chaining you to a job. So I think for people pursuing financial independence, they're trying to take a step back, maybe for the very first time in their lives or anybody that they know's lives, frankly, that and, and say, is there a different path? Is there a better path for me? Whatever that looks like. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Phi is that it's intensely personal. There's mm. no prescribed path. There's no, you have to do these five or 10 things to be a card carrying member of the movement. It's, it's none of that nonsense at all. It's, it's doing what you want with your life on your terms. And I think the fundamental bedrock clearly in my estimation is saving money and getting to a place of financial security. Again, whatever that means to you. Now we can, Joanna, we can define financial independence and, and all this stuff as, as a certain, a certain dollar figure or a certain multiple of your expenses. And, and I mean, honestly, we can get into that if you want the math of it. But to me, it really, it's the larger sense of by saving money, you're not depriving yourself from these little everyday distractions of, getting expensive Starbucks or buying a BMW or whatever it is, you're actually moving towards the ultimate luxury in life, which is your time to spend on this planet as you see fit. Mm. Yeah. And you have a, a great quote in the book, which is a very well designed as well. I, I love the book. Um, this Thank quote you. says, Fi is not about running away from the things you hate in life. It's about running towards something. And I love this idea of the movement because my audience, a lot of them are indie authors or they're thinking about becoming an independent author. And this independent creative movement is, you know, is similar. It is a movement. It is global. It is a mind shift in what it means to be a creator in the same way that you're saying. This is a mind shift. And the word retirement, I agree with you. I mean, I'm kind of living the life I think I want to do for the rest of my life, which is write books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I still want to, what I would love to, most authors listening do not like doing book marketing. It's probably the thing that none of us enjoy like the most. <laughs> so to me, Fi would be the choice to just write a book, put it out in the world and not do any book marketing. So that would be like an example that's not money-based, but is more choice-based. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. And, and yeah, that is the beautiful thing about this. You can look at your life and say, what lights me up, right? Mm. In your, in your case, it's writing books and, and that's wonderful. You don't want to spend, I mean, what percent of your time do you spend on marketing? I can't even, I can't even imagine. Right? <laughs> well, the fun, the funny thing is, I think this is creative, you and I podcasting, but yeah, technically yeah. this is book marketing for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fair. No, that is, so, that is very fair. So this is fun, but I don't like doing things like, um, Facebook advertising, for example. So it would be great to just, you know, have, be able to have conversations like this and not do, not to do the things we don't want to do. And I think that's what you're talking about, isn't it? And I want people people to really get this because there, it's financial independence. Yes, there is a money aspect, but independence is the point. Yes, unquestionably. And for me, our, my wife and, and my goals was to basically live this life of freedom and to live the life on our terms. And for us, that was very simply spending time with our daughters, 
So for my wife, it was staying home as a stay-at-home mom. And for me now, I, I like you said, I, I, I podcast, right? Which while it obviously takes a lot of time, it's a wonderful thing to be able to impact people's lives. So, you know, there's no time where I'm, I'm grudgingly going and doing it. It's this amazing thing that I've been afforded, but it's because over this really intermediate time period. So I was an accountant. I, I did uh, income tax returns. If you can imagine anything polar opposite <laughs> from a creative job, uh, it was basically the hamster wheel incarnate. It, it you know, was the same thing every month or every year. So, But I did that as a means to an end. And I was able to leave that job at 35. And now I'm here every day when my kids get off the bus and we play board games and we hang out and we get to do all these fun things. And again, this is what I wanted my life to look like, right? But mm. the beautiful thing of FI is it is intensely personal. There's, like I said before, there's no prescribed path. Like you said, maybe you don't want to do book marketing, but honestly, maybe it has to get done, right? And part of, <laughs> I mean, part of your five path. I just need be, to pay more people, more, more things. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, right. I mean, I know you say that kind of mockingly, but, but that is part of it, right? Is again, mm. finding things, the aspects of your life that you want to do and finding things and, you know, find those things where you add the most value. Right. If you could not spend your time doing that marketing and write three more books a year or X number of books a year, I don't know what it is. Right. And not do that. Maybe that adds more value to the world. Maybe you can pay people to do that stuff you don't want to do. So FI is not about pinching pennies in my estimation. It's not. It's it is not about that deprivation mindset of I have to cut everything to the bone. I've got to DIY and you know do everything myself like I don't think that's it. I think it's a value proposition. And that's how yeah. I look at it is do where do I add value? Where do maybe where do I add unique value? And I want to do that all day long. But I don't want to do the things that you know, you know, when you find those things in your life that you just don't want to do, you procrastinate on them. You can't figure out why they don't get done. Right. Like and maybe you don't actually dive into it psychologically, but, you know, deep down, you just don't want to do those things. And in my case, they wind up being a constraint in the whole system and they gum everything up. So honestly, at this point, I do pay people to do certain aspects of things that I just, I know I'm going to screw up the whole system and I just, I don't enjoy it. I don't add unique value. So I think, I think that's an important point is a lot of people read some of these articles on the FI movement and think it's about just cutting every penny and every bit of fun in life. And, and that is just not it at all. So, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I approach it mentally, at least. Yeah. So, um, well, cause I think, yeah, I come up against a lot of money blocks in myself, but also in the author community, um, around, you know, and financial independence for authors is something that they might feel is so out of their kind of world, um, that that might even stop them, you know, starting with the basics. So we're, we're going to start with the basics here. Okay. <laughs> um, so there are three pillars, even though you said there, there is not one definition, which is true. Like there's no this amount of money or this type of life, but there are three pillars in the book, which are spend less, earn more, invest better. So let's start with step one, spend less, but not go mega frugal. <laughs> so what are some of the ways that we can re-examine our spending? Yeah. And I think examining it is, is the crucial starting point. 
for so many people. And, and if, if you don't mind, just a, one quick step back, which is, like you said, some people look at that and say, wow, it's so overwhelming that mm-hmm. maybe I can't even get started, right? A lot of people look at that and say, I'm X, Y, and Z. I am a creative or I'm an author or in my case, who, who knows? You know, it could be anything. I'm an accountant. I can't do that. Everybody has that limiting belief, right? And mm-hmm. for so many of us, it's because it looks insurmountable. It looks like a 30-year process. But if you just stick your head in the sand and you don't do anything to make your life better, you're going to be in the same spot 30 years. So 30 years on, even if you don't get to financial independence, honestly, your life is still going to be better if you get on this path. Even if you have $2,000 in the bank, 5,000, 10,000, imagine how much less stressful your life is than if you're living paycheck to paycheck, right? I mean, for Mm. so many people, their lives really would fall apart if they lost their job or something, some calamity befell them that's even small, like a couple hundred dollars, right? I think there's some stat, I forget what the exact number is, but like 50% of Americans, and I assume you can extrapolate this to many, many countries, couldn't handle a $400 unexpected expense. So, I mean, imagine living on that knife's edge where if some tiny little thing happened to you, you had to take out loans, you had to borrow from family and friends, or you had to put it on a credit card or some such. So for me, I think the spend less starts with get an idea of where you are in your life. And it's deeply uncomfortable for so many of us who we haven't examined this, right? We've been scared to examine it. It's just easy to go along just living the normal life, right? And you don't want to think about, wow, am I saving any money? Am I getting into debt? What do I owe? So what I would counsel everybody, and I know this isn't fun, but it probably would take (laughs) an hour, right? Like maybe an hour to open up an Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet or even just a piece of paper and write down what are your monthly expenses? And just like really think about maybe even your yearly expenses that are like a one-time expense, but you know, you can kind of spread that out over a month. Like obviously if you know there are expenses that are coming, you need to have them on paper just so you know, what does my life even cost? Most people have no sense of that. Like, does my life cost $30,000? Does it cost 60,000, 90? I mean, most people have no sense of that. So that's the first idea. I think for a lot of people, it's then what are, what is my income? Now, obviously with, you know, or I assume, I don't want to say obviously, but uh, book authors, it, it might not be a standard, I'm getting X dollars per month on the 15th and 30th, right? Like it, it might be variable, but that's probably even more reason to get a sense of what your expenses are, right? To know mm. and to maybe have that cushion, like we're talking about a couple steps from now, which is just to save some money. Like, because sometimes maybe you have a bad month. Do you want your entire life to crumble? Do you want to have bill collectors coming after you because you didn't prepare in good times for those times of, let's say, famine, right? So I think that's why getting a sense of where you are. And then I guess the final piece of that would be putting down, like, what do you owe? What are your liabilities? Any credit card or student loan debts or home mortgages? And what are your assets? Like, do you have any accounts anywhere that have some assets? So it's just get it on paper. So I think that's the very first step in the spend less. Ironically, it's it's just find out what does your life look like? 
Mm. It's so important. And in fact, I started getting into all of this uh, 2008 in the global financial crisis, um, where I, you know, had a six-figure income, a house and investment property, all of this. And then we all got laid off. 400 of us got laid off on one day. We all just got pieces of paper. You're all gone. And I was like, this was my one stream of income. And I just went, what? What just happened? You know, so it's not even that for authors, I mean, we, everyone listening knows, and you, you know, you have a book, book sales go up and down. They are not like his a steady income. So even, but even with a, a day job, which most people will have um, who listen, uh, that also can go wrong. Things happen, right? Oh, <laughs> so absolutely, right? Like it's you- protection. Yeah, it's protection for things happening and things happen. <laughs> of course, they happen all the time. And, and, and again, it gives you that little bit of power in your life, that little mm. bit of autonomy, right? Even at the very outset of this, even that first time that you have a couple thousand dollars saved up, because otherwise you are beholden to that job. And if, I mean, things happen in jobs where they ask you to do something that's against what you believe is ethical or moral. I mean, if you, again, if your life would crumble in 30, 60, 90 days without that job, sometimes you make decisions that that don't line up with how you want to live. And I know that might sound like an extreme example, but but I've seen it happen in in members of our community's lives. And, and it, it's just such a powerful position to be in. And like you said, you could lose your job at a moment's notice, no matter how great you are at work, no matter how valuable you are, things happen in life. So to plan just for these rosy, wonderful unicorns and rainbows, like that is not the way to go about life. And I am not a doom and gloom type person. I'm really, am not like I have a, a pretty, pretty positive disposition, but I think you need to prepare for an eventuality that is reasonably plausible. And again, if the, the only, like really the upshot is you feel more powerful when you have money in the bank. So it's, it's a, like a universal win as far as I'm concerned, but you know, you did ask kind of what are ways to spend less? And I think reasonably for most people, the the vast majority of our monthly or yearly expenses come from three categories. And it's it's housing, it's transportation, automobiles, and it's food. And I think for a lot of people, you know, again, it's not my place as some random podcaster to tell you how to live your life. But but I think one thing we need to do is if we're living that paycheck to paycheck or getting into debt and things aren't getting better, we have to make decisions and we have to take action. And we have to be honest with ourselves, right? That there Mm. is some give and take. Again, this is not about deprivation, but there is some give and take clearly that you can't have everything and expect to get to a solid financial point at any point in your life if nothing's gonna change, right? So you have to make some decisions. It's just a matter of, of what do you value? And, you know, I look at things like, like food. I think that is a huge one that I think most people can get quick wins on. And I think psychologically, it's really important to accrue those, those early wins. So you feel like you're moving in the right direction because realistically, if we started with housing, I mean, that is, it's difficult to unwind that for most people, right? Like, oh, but, but, but I, I want to give a different perspective on this because nice. housing was actually the first thing I did. Nice. Um, because I, I, I guess I have a bias for big action, but when I looked at the outgoings and even when I became a writer, we sold the investment property and we sold our house and moved into rental accommodation. I 
I know this is actually quite common with Fi, maybe not with people who have kids in school or whatever, but like we downsized our property uh, outgoings. That was the very first thing. Um, I'm also car free. So in those two categories, I'm very, very cheap, um, like lean fire, as you describe it. But I am fat fire, which is, you know, spending money all the way. I love traveling and I spend good money on traveling. I buy any book I want to read. And also I do like eating out. So it's interesting because it's more like you say, what do you value? And by cutting some of the big things, I give myself much more freedom in the in the smaller things. But for other people, obviously you need, you know, you want to keep your house, you want to keep your car. But it, it, so that kind of weighing it up is is interesting, right? It's different for everyone. Joanna, that is brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. And, and I think the, the ironic thing is that I fall into your camp as well, which is, which is really <laughs> interesting that I was going to counsel starting with those quick, easy wins, but both you and I took those massive actions. And I think that, again, this is intensely personal. So it's funny, right? When you're talking to many, many tens of thousands of people, you have to give advice that you think is probably universally applicable, but (laughs) it's not going to be applicable for everybody. Like you said, you love massive action. And I think setting up a framework of a life that doesn't cost that much is the best way to allow yourself that freedom, that creativity in the other aspects where you want to spend money. In your case, it's travel and food. You can spend lavishly on those things and never look back because your housing and your automobile expenses are virtually nothing, right? So, I mean, Mm -hmm. that is, that was a very intentional decision you made. And we actually did something similar. We used to live in the suburbs of uh, New York City and we moved down to Richmond, Virginia, which the cost of living here is about roughly about a third of what it was back back home where really all of our family and friends lived. And, And that was, it was a difficult decision to move away from everything and everybody we'd ever known but we did it in service of this larger life's goal. So again, it didn't feel like deprivation. It felt like we are pushing forward on something that just means the world to us. So that was simple. I drive a 2003 Honda Civic that at this point is worth probably less than what I just paid to fix it the other day. It's probably (laughs) worth about $800. But you know, yeah, it's, it's it's what's important. It is. It is. Yeah. So let's um let's switch gears because step two is earn more. And I love this because one of the wonderful things about being a writer is you can write another book and make another income stream. So for me, the focus is, has been on earning more um, uh, all the way. And many people listening will have a day job and they're writing in you know their spare time uh, already. So I would say that most people listening probably have that side hustle of writing. Some may be full-time writers. So what are some of the ways that we can look at earning more? Yeah, I think what we've noticed across many of our guests is that, and and that's kind of the beautiful thing about Choose FI is, and the entire FIRE movement is, this is a crowdsourced movement of really everybody, like the best ideas bubbling up to the top. Because if it was just about me and my co-host, Jonathan, and even some of the the more famous people in the FI movement, like there's there's an end to our knowledge, right? But when you have hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions in a worldwide movement, the best ideas really do bubble to the top. And what we've seen repeatedly is, is people are trying to gain skills. They're not necessarily worried about the 
the degrees and the advanced degrees and going into debt and all this stuff. I mean, you hear in popular culture, so many people getting law degrees and MBA degrees and all these things. And whereas you can learn a lot of these skills online for pennies, really. I mean, we know people who have picked up entire job skills, especially in this digital world where, I mean, there are things that didn't used to exist, like someone who can run, as you said before, actually your Facebook ads, right? As much as you loathe that, like that's a real job now that you could pick up those skills for really nothing and take a, take a couple hundred dollar online course, pick up those skills and then test this. That's the beautiful thing. You can test and iterate so quickly that you can become an expert and help people like you who don't want to do this. So we've seen people pick up uh, coding is, is another thing where many people go to a four-year college and spend potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can take an online coding course and, and learn these skills and actually be able to prove them out to potential employers and for under $1,000 for this course. I've, we've seen a couple of these uh, guests on our podcast have learned, have taken these courses and it's just, it's, it's neat in this world where it's the focus is on skills as opposed to that piece of paper. Like it may have, have used to been when, when I went to college or when my parents went to college, certainly that, that was the, the key to succeeding in life. Now it's, are you going to go the extra mile? So earning more, uh, I, two examples actually that, that I think are really useful are we had two guests on. So uh, Chris Hutchins, I'm going to see quickly if I can pull up the episode number. I think it was uh, episode 121R, how to get any job. Okay. This guy, Chris Hutchins is a uh, CEO in Silicon Valley. He has a uh, startup, you know, internet startup. And he basically said, if you're looking to get a new job, which you should kind of always be looking because really one of the best ways to earn more, sadly, is to hop from job to job. Now, yeah, that sounds true. deeply unsettling to me, but like <laughs> it is true, right? Like yeah, it is you, true, don't, yeah. you don't get big raises at your existing job. You get the standard three or 4% raise and you're never going to earn significantly more that, that way. That's just keeping up with inflation. Whereas what Chris said was, if you want to get another job, you can go the standard path, basically like the no brainer path, which is go to that company's website, go to their apply page and send in your resume or CV or whatever you call it. And, and just hope really close your eyes and hope. And how many people do you think are applying for that job, that method, which is takes no effort at all, H hundreds or thousands. Whereas Chris said, I would never even look at those resumes. I don't even know why we have that page on the website anymore. And for me, this was like a, an eye-opening thing because I would have been that brain-dead person, if you will, and I'm sorry to sound so crude, but <laughs> who would have done that? I, that right, Joanna? Like, I would have just assumed that was the way. And Chris said, we've had people who have basically spent 50 hours creating a project, finding my email, finding people who they knew that knew me, that they, yeah, that, you know, their contacts that knew Chris to get them in touch. And that job applicant solved a problem for his company before they even worked there, right? They found out what is this company looking to do? What are their goals and aspirations and how can I help and provide that unique value, right? So they created a solution before they were even on the payroll. Imagine how good they would be 
when they were actually on the payroll 40 hours a week. So, you know, just something simple like that, it just changes, it changes how you look at it. If I ever went back to apply for another job now, I would never in a million years just send my resume in, close my eyes and hope just Mm. because of that one piece of information. I thought that was brilliant. That is, and I'm I'm actually really glad you brought up the job thing because um, you know, I I I run my own business. Um, but it's so interesting that being an entrepreneur is not it's not the it possibly might not even be the best way to, to financial independence. Um, you know, I used to work in IT. You mentioned uh, you know, creativity. I used to implement accounts payable systems. <laughs> Uh, back in the day. Um, and actually they paid me really well, but I didn't understand about investing. I didn't have the information that you guys are putting out there now. Um, and I almost, I guess I could say I wasted 13 years of a very good salary because I didn't know what to do with it. And we're going to come to that next, but what I want to say to people is the tip you just gave about the job is totally true. And you can reach some of these goals earlier in life by having a job. You don't need to quit your job and become an entrepreneur um, you know, to actually do this, which is brilliant. So let's talk about investment because as I said, I used to earn six, I earned six figures for years and didn't invest any or save any or have, you know, I just had that lifestyle. I enjoyed myself. And then I was like, well, what have I got to show for all of this? So just talk about step three, which is invest better. And a lot of people listening will be scared of the word investing. So just give us some basic um, basics. <laughs> sure. No, I hear you. And, and believe me, I was scared of investing too. I think that it's really important to know that Nobody knows what they're doing here. I, I was a, a CPA, a certified public accountant here in the U.S., and theoretically, I should have known something about financial statements and all this other stuff, but it still seemed like this insurmountable hurdle that you would have to be some hotshot on Wall Street or spend thousands of hours researching to have any idea. So again, for most of us, when we're faced with something like that psychologically, we just shut down. We say we can't do it, so why even bother trying? Right. I think that's Mm. sadly how a lot of us approach these big things in life. And I think, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I had the same same thing as you. Like I didn't get started and I didn't get started early because I didn't know what I was doing. But one thing that provided extreme clarity to me was and again, this is like one of those inflection point or lightning bolt type moments in my life was when I was presented with there's a website called J L Collins and H. Uh, dot com. It's an odd, odd website, but it's uh, Jim Collins. He has the stock series. And basically he talks about the power of low cost index fund investing. And again, that might still sound daunting and confusing <laughs> to, to people who have never heard of it, but, but just bear with me here for a second. So for most of us, really all of us, frankly, we don't have the ability to pick individual stocks and hope and and expect or whatever you want to call it to make that a successful strategy over a 30, 40, 50 plus year investing lifetime, which for most of us, that's the timeline. It's not how do I get lucky and win the game of the stock market or whatever it may be over one or two years. I look at it as this is a 50 year project for how do I become wealthy? Okay. So I'm not looking at short-term results. I'm not trying to get a stock tip from the woman or man, you know, at the cube next door to me at the office. I'm just trying to win over the long term. And I think that piece of clarity 
was was huge for me. So basically what you do with with an index fund is and and you know I'm based in the US here so I, I'm just going to kind of talk about the total US stock market index fund. So mm-hmm. in our case you can buy this fund where let's say there are about 3000 companies. So all essentially all of the public publicly traded companies in the US. So we're talking 3000 companies that probably employ a hundred plus million people. And you're buying a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of all 3000 of those companies when you buy this index fund. And again, you don't have to outsmart anything. That's why investing better is what we call this pillar. You don't need to think about it. You don't need to get lucky. You don't have to have this insider information, which frankly, I don't believe exists anyway, but even putting that aside, you don't need any of that. There's no luck involved. You're just buying a little piece of every publicly traded company in the US every month with whatever money you have left over that you're saving in my case. Now, obviously every every country has something similar. You can buy world indexes. You can you know plenty of these things exist, but conceptually I hope everybody's following me here. So again, I'm not worried about the news. I'm not watching CNN and oh the sky is falling. I have to sell everything. It's when we get our stupid little human brains, honestly, involved in this is when we screw everything up. It's you can't try to outthink this. We don't have the ability to time the stock market on when I'm buying or selling. So I don't even think about that. I just buy the stock market at the lowest little it's called an expense ratio. And again, I don't want to lose anybody here, but you pay, (laughs) right? Like it it can get a little technical, but, but I'm just going to try to overview. It's like you pay a tiny little bit of expenses to the company that's running this fund. Now in a stock market index fund, there's not much work that needs to go in. So you don't need to pay some quote unquote brilliant uh, index fund manager, any amount of money. You're just paying somebody to buy all these stocks. So it's, it's pretty simple. And whereas Sometimes when you're chasing that brilliance, which again, I don't think exists, frankly, but you pay a 1% fee or maybe even a little bit more. And that doesn't sound like much, but when you compound this again, we're thinking over 30 to 50 years when you, when you add in, or really when you pull out that expense fee every year and you don't see it, it's so insidious, you don't see it, but it can, it can make a huge difference compounded over 50 years in your ultimate net worth. I mean, Joanna, to the sense of 30 to 50% of your overall Mm -hmm. net worth is gone because you were chasing that performance. And I don't think that any, again, I say sarcastically, quote unquote, brilliant manager is going to be able to outperform over 30 to 50 years. So I don't worry about that. And I got to tell you, I sleep so well at night knowing that I'm buying, I have a hundred plus million American workers working every day, trying to make me a little bit richer, which is kind of a funny way to think (laughs) about it. Right. But like they're my employees, even though I only own a tiny, tiny little baby amount of each of these companies, but it's kind of a cool rethink. And again, I sleep really well at night. I'm just matching the market over 50 years and statistically what I've seen from the research I've done and, and smarter people than I have done is this is probably the highest percentage likelihood of success. So if I can get the easiest method with the highest likelihood of success, that is a slam dunk win for me. Yeah. And I know some people listening will have found that statement, all of those things are a little bit complicated. So I'm just going to pick out a few things you said. Um, One, low fees. 
Really, really important. The other thing would be index funds. So people listening, you're writers, you know words. This is just another language. I think that's what you know, you have to change your mindset into just learning another language. Index funds is some language. You can go look that up. You can go look at it. Um, and fees. So uh, like, you know, as you've been saying, I learned about the fees. I learned about Vanguard. Um, and for the last four years, I have done, as you say, um, put money in um, very low fee index funds. Uh, I prefer to diversify beyond the US market, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, but yeah, and I've actually, you know, obviously we're not going to share Numbers, but I've put away more in the last four years as an author than I did as 13 years as a um, IT consultant. So I'm I'm with you and I'm in the movement <laughs> totally. <laughs> nice. And the listeners, you know, what I want to say to people listening is this is a journey. You, and why I wanted um, you to come on, Brad, was to give people a starting point. And look, there is so much we could talk about. We've barely scratched the surface of even what I wanted to talk about. But you suddenly realise, don't you, that this is such a <laughs> deep, this is a deep topic. But similarly, um, people listening, you know, know a lot more about, say, writing novels than you do. So the language is, is different. And yeah. that's the perfect way to put it, right? Is it mm. is a translation. And and yeah, please, I really did, Joanna, I'm sorry. I, I did try to keep it at fairly high level, but you it, did it, well. You did is, well. Thank you. thank you. It is hard though. And but yes, I would say, please, like I said before, I was scared of this and I was a certified public accountant. I mean, theory, so everybody is. That is not a good enough reason to put it off. It mm. really isn't. So please just know. This is, as Joanna said, it is just another language and it, it affords you that ability and that space to be more creative. I mean, I'm the perfect example of this. Like, because I was down this path to financial independence, I was able to leave my nice, safe job, which I was a you know manager at a, a big company. I had a nice salary and benefits. I have a wife and two daughters. Like I would have been chained to this job, but it allowed me to go down this path of entrepreneurial creativity, frankly. And I was able to look at a problem a little bit differently and apply some creativity in my life, in a life that was devoid of creativity, honestly, mm. because that's that's what it was when I was in this, this office doing this thing over and over again. So I would really implore you, even if this does sound like a, a wholly alien foreign language to you, is it's worth it. It really is worth the time, the minimal time and investment just to learn about it mm. because your financial life is the bedrock of everything. It's the piece that makes everything else easier. Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the best ways to learn a new language is to listen to a podcast. <laughs> and uh, people who've been listening to this show for over a decade um, have learned a lot about the writing industry. So you have, um, you co-host the Choose FI podcast with Jonathan Mendonza, and he's also a co-author on the book. Um, and you interview people about their path to FI. You also do much more in-depth podcast shows on each of these type of topics. So um, just tell people a bit more about what they can find on your Choose FI podcast, because that will be the best place, uh, as well as the book, obviously, yeah. for people to get more from you. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and yeah, I agree. It, it, there's just something so deeply personal about podcasting. And, and you know, certainly that that your listeners, they connect with you. And I think that's what's cool about about the Choose FI podcast is while people do connect with me and Jonathan, it's, it's the community and it's finding inspiration 
in these stories because all of our stories are different. And, and I find that deeply empowering. And if you, if you heard this and you're interested, I would definitely check out episode 100 of Choose FI. And that's kind of our welcome to the community. And then realistically start over at the beginning. It, it, it all kind of builds on itself. And there's, there's a little bit of inspiration in there. Even sometimes you'll hear a story. And, and frankly, I'll hear a guest that I didn't think was going to connect with me. It just, they were outside of my life experience. And, and I just find, wow, there were three or four gems in that episode that just hit me on such a personal level and changed my life. And I, I think I just love that. And so, yeah, as, as you said, we do a two time a week podcast. So generally speaking, our release uh, Monday episodes are with guests. And then on Friday, we do a roundup, which is kind of a general uh, questions from the audience wins. Uh, we, Jonathan and I usually have some little banter and an anecdote and here and there. And uh, we kind of recap the Monday episode and really like our essential takeaways. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 grown into this amazing community. And like we said, we have these Choose FI local groups. Like I mentioned in London, we have 250 plus of them across the world. So if you're looking for an in real life community, you can find that at ChooseFI. And it's it's such a, a variety of people and backgrounds and stories that it's it's just been a remarkable journey. I still can't believe how it's grown in these really under three years now. Yes. And as I think with the independent author community, it's kind of, it's day one. Uh, you know, I think people are only just discovering FIRE and, and FI. So very exciting. Where can people find the book and the podcast and everything you do online? Yeah, well, thank you. It's uh, choosefi.com is is an easy place to start. Uh, choosefi.com slash book will kind of redirect you. You can find it anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, hopefully your local bookstores or your library. And uh, yeah, we'd love for you to take a listen, visit the website, buy the book if, if uh, that suits you. And yeah, I really appreciate the time here. Oh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Brad. That was great. Thanks again. So I hope you found the discussion with Brad interesting and that you can implement some new money plans in the years ahead. And you can check out my recommended book list at thecreativepen.com forward slash money books if you'd like to read more. So next week, I'm talking about how to focus and be indistractable with Near AL, something we all want to be in 2020. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.